Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Annette Dashafi to the podcast today. Annette is the USA Today bestselling author of 12 novels, including the Agatha-nominated Zoe Chambers mystery series about a paramedic deputy coroner in rural Pennsylvania's tight-knit Vance Township. Her standalone, Death by Equine, set in the world of thoroughbred horse racing, won the 2021 Dr. Tony Ryan Book Award for Excellence in Thoroughbred Racing Literature. Her first in a brand new series, Where the Guilty Hide, comes out in January 2023 and is available for pre-order now, or perhaps available for purchase once this um, podcast is released. Annette serves on the board of Penn Writers and is the president of the Pittsburgh chapter of Sisters in Crime. She and her husband live on 10 acres of what was her grandfather's dairy farm in Washington County, Pennsylvania, with their very spoiled cat, Kenzie. Annette, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I am so happy to be here and to talk to you about writing and about your writing journey and um, all of that 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 entails. Um, So let's start where I always start with these conversations. When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Oh, Well, I always say that my first writing implement was a crayon, (laughs) and that really isn't too far from the truth. I I always wrote stories. Uh, When I got into high school, I started writing what I guess are novel-length fan fiction, although we didn't call them that at the time. I just, I would get a, one of those 300-page spiral-bound notebooks, mm-hmm. line notebooks, and write longhand in pencil. And, uh, you know, Star Wars and different Westerns, because I always liked the Westerns that were on TV, all these different shows. And I would kind of make up my own storyline with my own characters added in. And during study hall, I would pass what I had written around the room to my fans, my readers, <laughs> who would read what, you know, it was almost like a serial. You know, they read it a little bit by little bit, and they would send it back to me and say, write more. And that's, as you know, very addictive. It still is <laughs> very addictive. Um, and that that's really where I, I, I learned that I could write, you know, 300 pages uh, back then. But life gets in the way, as it does, and I didn't really get back to, or didn't get to seriously consider writing a novel until 20, I guess 2003. Uh, I I had an idea and sat down and wrote what I thought was a masterpiece and quickly found out that it was not. (laughs) And, you know, it got, I got what I might consider a some harsh critiques but I needed that Mm -hmm. you know if I had if people had been 
you know, nice to me about it. <laughs> I might have kept on trying to work on that book, and it really was bad. So I put that aside and took the lessons learned and wrote, started writing something else. And that, <laughs> talk about a long journey, that book got me my first agent, but it didn't go anywhere. Uh, she couldn't sell it. So it got stuck in a drawer and I thought I would never go back to it. And I started writing another book, which turned out to be Circle of Influence, uh, the first book in the Zoe Chambers series. So I, I, that's what started me on my publication journey. And that book that was never sold back then is the one that just won that award. So wow. It, so it came back around. Was it always crime fiction for you? Uh, like I said, it, my fan fiction was right. westerns, westerns and 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 sci-fi and whatever. But I think what got me onto crime fiction was uh, where are the children? Uh, Mary Higgins Clark. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, it's it so affected me that I never really looked back. Everything I wrote since I read that was crime fiction. And uh, so Mary Higgins Clark is a huge gateway for a lot of writers, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, she has um, she has touched a lot of careers, I think, uh, in different yes. ways. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, and had quite a career herself, for sure. Um, so did you, growing up, so the Western fan fiction, I just have to touch base on that <laughs> because you and I... Um, are around the same age. And, and I would watch repeats of shows that I was too young to watch in first, um, right. first time, but, um, they were are like big Valley bonanza, all these great Western series yeah. with these characters were and those Alias Smith and Jones, yes. Alias Smith and Jones, which I actually, you know, got to watch it first run, uh, when it was on. And, but yeah, I had, I think I had some fan fiction uh, set in the world of Bonanza, uh, Big Valley. Those were two of my favorites. And The Virginian, I didn't write any fan fiction about that, but uh, that was another one of my favorites. But I think I wrote three books that were set in the world of alias Smith and Jones. That was, that was the one that really. <laughs> yeah. For, I mean, I can understand that totally, but it is interesting. I mean, looking at episodic television, um, it does, it does help you with structure. I mean, it helps you understand yeah. how a story is created. Right. I mean, it's like got to do something the first 15 minutes, something 15 minutes later, you know, so that you understand uh -huh. pacing and story structure from that. Really, yeah, and you know, I don't know that I learned this necessarily back then, but more recently, uh, that you know, you at like the fifteen-minute point in an hour series, there's something that turns that it's not the story that you thought it was, yeah. and again at the half-hour point. So yeah, that's you can learn a lot about <laughs> pacing and plotting and and the three-act structure uh, by watching television. <laughs> Yeah, so you can't really learn a lot about re you know researching police procedurals, though. I found that out. No, uh, yes, as a matter of fact, if you rely on television, it may not turn out the way you want it to. Um, 
Did you, you said that you really sort of took 2003, you said, I, this is, I want to do this. I I dream of this. I want to do this. Did you, and you, did you join a writer's group? Like who gave you the critiques on that work? Uh, I found pen writers Mm -hmm. and through pen writers, I found sisters in crime and uh, yeah, it was a uh, sisters in crime retreat that had a, a read and critique. And yeah, I, I make it sound like it was, it was a, a brutal <laughs> critique, but it was just honest. And like I said, it was what I needed to hear. So it, it, there were some very talented and there still are some really talented writers uh, in, in that, in that group. And yeah, I am so grateful for that. That was really a turning point. I think that got me away from what I thought I wanted to, to write. Cause I mean, that first, that first awful book was absolutely nothing that I know. Uh, you know, they say, write what you know. I, it was, I, my main character was an FBI agent. It was set in, uh, Las Vegas and I had no background in police procedural or police anything at that point. So the FBI was just, again, what I, you know, watched on TV Yeah, and never been to, to Las Vegas. But the thing about that book, or it, it, it was more like a novella. I think it ended up at 40,000 pages at that point. Um, my dad, his health was declining. And writing that book in a location that I didn't know anything about, about a character that I had no business writing, it was a, it was an escape mm-hmm. uh, from, from the real world, which was kind of stressful at that point. So I, I wrote that book much like anybody would pick up a book to read. It was an escape. I just wrote it to find out what happened. So I don't, it, it will never see the light of day, trust me. Right. <laughs> But, because I think at this point it's on a floppy disk, so it really can't <laughs> see the light of day. Um. Um, well, but that first book often teaches us how to write, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, or how not to write, <laughs> or how not to write, and and criticism's important. What did you take from that? Like, did you? How did you keep developing your craft after that? I mean, did you take classes? Pen Writers is an amazing organization. Um, has a conference once a year. Sisters in Crime, of course, is an amazing organization as well. Um, but that that gives you both of those give you tons of opportunities. But how did you develop your craft and and learn how to how to fix it and write write books that are doing amazingly well? Oh, um, yeah. The Pen Writers Conference, the the workshops there, I, and uh, online workshops, I, I took a, a lot of those. Um, critique groups, mm-hmm. I, I went through a number of critique groups, both good and bad, mm-hmm. and uh, just learned. Every, and I'm still learning. There's some cra- you know craft books, um, and mentoring. I, I was fortunate to you know find several. Uh, published authors who were willing to read my stuff and give me excellent feedback. So it, it's, and I'm still learning mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> every day, <laughs> but yeah, those, those two organizations, pen writers and sisters in crime, I would not be published without them. What is your process like for writing? 
you know, it changes, I think, with every book. Um, I started out being a plotter because one of those workshops was about plotting. So I learned how to outline. Um, Gradually, I kind of went more hybrid where I don't plot as detailed, but I always have a, I always know before I start who the killer is and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know a couple plot points along the way. And I how much I outline in between kind of varies from book to book. I tried being a pantser, just you know, writing by the seat of my pants for one book and decided at that point I should never do that again because there was so much revision needed to get it to where it was ready for publication. Uh, but I, I do like, I, I, I don't know where I heard the term. I know I stole it from somebody and I wish I could give them credit, uh, but the term flashlighting, where I write as, or you, you go as far as you can see in a flashlight. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, plot ahead that much and then right to that point and then, you know, plot on from there. But again, sometimes some books I plot more heavily, uh, outline more heavily and others uh, not quite as much. I'll know the plot points along the way, but it's a roadmap. You know, you you know, you want to get from, you know, Pittsburgh to Los Angeles and you know, you want to stop here and there along the way, but everything else is a side trip. Right. That's a great analogy for sure. And there's a lot of ways to get there. I mean, you know, you can stay on the highways, you can go on the side roads, you can, you know, do big loops. I mean, it's, it's completely up to you, but at some point you're going to take, take you in a whole different way than what you intend sometimes. (laughs) Now, when you wrote the Zoe Chambers book, the first one, Mm -hmm. Did you know that was going to be a series or did you write it as a standalone? Uh, I knew I wanted it to be a series. I had uh, the idea for the first one and kind of a rough idea for the second one. And whenever I ended up signing a contract for it, it was a three book contract. Mm -hmm. And it was they were going to release it at, you know, a book every six months. So the first one, and then the six months later, the second one, and then a year later, the third one. And foolishly, I thought ah, that means I only, cause I had the first one written. I had the second one, probably three quarters done and no clue what the third one was going to be. But I figured, you know, well, I, a year, I could, I could write that book in a year. Uh, and of course, nobody, tells you that yeah but you're also doing revisions on the first one finishing the second one trying to figure out what the third one's going to be then you're promoting the first one and working on revisions on the second one and still trying to figure out what the third one is so uh, that was a learning experience for sure but uh yeah I always knew I always knew I wanted it to be a series and did you have an idea for arcs in series because planning series and you've written a standalone as well so we want to talk about both of these but writing a series gives you an opportunity to also tell a story that runs throughout the books that Mm -hmm. you don't have to solve in one 
in one book. I mean, you can have, or character changes or something happens that, um, you know, is going to take more. Did you, um, did you have one when you started? Did you develop one? You know, did, how did you learn how to write a series? Uh, yeah. <laughs> learn by doing, uh, that f- those first three books, I really didn't have a grasp <laughs> on an arc. Uh, as I was finishing the third one, uh, and don't I don't want to give away any spoilers for anybody who hasn't read it, but the ending was not the ending that I envisioned. <laughs> what happened in the ending just kind of was one of those characters and situations took off on me. And... I was trying to stop it as I was writing and it was like, nope, this has to happen this way. But after I finished that third book, I realized that that ending gave me an arc for the next three books mm-hmm. and possibly beyond. So yeah, sometimes you just have to go with that. And since then, I, well, I had that first three book contract then I had a second three book contract and I had the arc set up for that and then I had a four book contract that finished everything out with that publisher and I had the four book arc figured out too I knew where that ultimately needed to go um, but yeah the first three books no <laughs> I was making it up as I went along but your characters start showing up and your 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 side characters start showing up I mean and and telling you their own stories, which gives you some yes. opportunities as well. Yes. Um, major case in point, uh, the second book introduced, uh, well, my, my two main characters, for those who haven't read them, Zoe Chambers is, starts out as a paramedic deputy coroner, and Pete Adams, who's also a POV character, he's the chief of police, And eventually the two of them, of course, get together because, you know, that's what happens in long running series. Uh, But the second book in the series, Lost Legacy, introduced Pete's father, uh, Harry Adams. And Harry was this. It was a story that I it's still one of my favorite books in the series. I know you're not supposed to have favorites. They're like kids. Um, But Harry had Alzheimer's or has Alzheimer's. And my dad had Alzheimer's. And my dad had passed away several years before I wrote it. But I wanted to write a story that kind of was a tribute to my dad, but was true to the disease of Alzheimer's, which I think most people have been touched by. But it's a really ugly disease, as we all know. How do I write a character that is true to the disease, but that readers will want to spend time with. Mm -hmm. And it was a challenge and my readers love Harry. So I guess I, I guess I succeeded. Um, uh, Harry is not my dad. You know, he's a tribute to my dad, but he's not my dad. Uh, There are things about my dad that, show up in Harry, his love of chocolate milkshakes. <laughs> uh, the way he calls everybody sunshine. My dad did that. He couldn't remember your name. So he just, you know, hi, sunshine. Um, but the thing was, I only intended Harry to be in that one book because it's a progressive disease. Right. Uh, 
and my readers hounded me and hounded me about Harry. So he was one of those char- secondary characters that was supposed to be a one-off that has since shown up in three other books. <laughs> and uh, I, I would still like to figure out how to get him back in, but <laughs> into another one, but I haven't figured it out yet. You have a new series that's um, starting in 2023. Yeah. Was that did you bring a lot of what you'd learned from writing that first series? I mean, was it, I'm not going to say easier because it's never easy (laughs) to do this, but did you, did you have some lessons learned or realize, Oh, I've got to do this and that set this up beforehand so that I'm sure, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There, there were things that I wished I had done differently. You know, looking back to the first book in, in the Zoe Chambers series, there were things I wished I had done differently in introducing the characters um, that I kind of tried to use that mm-hmm. in introducing the characters in in this one. Uh, I always said that in in the in Circle of Influence, the first Zoe Chambers one, Pete and Zoe had already known each other for a few years by the time the, the story opened. And I, I actually did go back and write a short story of their, their first meeting. But I wanted to, in, in this new series, introduce the two protagonists as at their first meeting. Right. So I got to do that. Yeah. Slow down relationships, I think, is a piece of advice that um, <laughs> that a lot of people learn after writing that first series. Because once it, you know, you got to keep it moving, and you can't stall it. So, you know, if you sort of have three books and do something in three books, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't keep putting off <laughs> things happening, developing in relationships. It, you know, you can do that for so long and then it just starts to feel like, yeah, you're intentionally throwing roadblocks in there. Or they should break up. I mean, if this was real life, <laughs> they should break up if nothing's going to move forward. Um, well, I, I was I was at an event, uh, a book signing one time and it wasn't for me. It was for another author. And I was there as a fan. Uh, but the author uh, was running late because of traffic and the bookstore owner came out and, and apologized and said that she, this, the, the author had arrived, but she was in the back trying to calm her nerves from the traffic and said, well, but there, we have a few local authors here. And she introduced those of us who were in the audience. And I, I think, I think Lost Legacy had just come out. I just had two books out. Uh, but she, you know, pointed me out in the audience and, <laughs> I was a couple people came over and were, were talking to me and I saw the corner of my eye, the, this man coming through the crowd toward me, marching toward me with this, you know, sense of purpose. <laughs> and he had a beard and he had a camo ball cap on with like fishing lure stuck in it. <laughs> and I was a little bit afraid, you know, what, what's this guy want? And he came right up into my face and, and he said, when are Pete and Zoe getting together? <laughs> and then turn around and walk away. And I just stood there thinking this was not who I suspected my target audience to be. <laughs> right. But, but even he to get together. So that, you know, lesson learned. 
In your books, um, the Zoe Chambers books, I, I would say they're more traditional mystery. They're they're not um, they're not cozy per se. I mean, they're they're right. they're uh, they're more traditional mysteries. Is that how you would correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're marketed uh, as cozy because of who the publisher was for those first uh, ten. That's that was kind of their thing. But um, no, they're 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 small town, but they're not amateur sleuth. I mean, Pete's right. a cop, and and Zoe's a first responder. So you know that right there kind of takes them out of the cozy label. I think. Yeah, I mean, and you know, traditional and cozy, it's gradations, but I think that they're important to yes. understand, especially for writers to, you know, which am I writing, um, uh, and and you know, who's going to read them. But I, I you know, right. I suspect, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because he could very well be a huge cozy reader as well. We we can't, we don't know who's right. reading what these days, right? That's um, true. <laughs> Now your standalone, um, did you think that might be a series or, or was that definitely a standalone? It, that, that was the one that I wrote way back, like in 2004. And it was, it was also supposed to be a series. Okay. And I had written a second one in the series, but the agent that I signed with had no luck selling the first one. And so there was really, you know, she had no interest in the second one. And we then, we parted company amicably shortly after that anyway. Um, but this, I couldn't, people keep asking me even now, is that second one ever going to come out? And there have, it, it's set in the world of thoroughbred racing. And there have been ch a lot of changes to technology and to, you know, legal things uh in racing that what i had as the crime or the con in the second one could never work they they fixed they plugged that hole <laughs> with technology so that that couldn't happen and so i i can't i can't even update that that story to make it work um so i'm just i'm i've learned not to say never about anything right uh, but I don't have any immediate plans to write a second one in that series. Although that award sort of made me <laughs> think, hmm, maybe I should consider that. Um, and did the, you the, in, indie publish that one? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, my, what happened was I I reached the end of my contract for the Zoe series and was at a place that I really didn't, I didn't have a contract. I didn't know, you know, what was, what was going to, what was next. Um, and then I, I did sign with an agent and she got level best books to pick up the Zoe series, but there was going to be a two year span between releases. And as most published authors are aware those long spells between releases can be financially difficult <laughs> mm -hmm. so i i had i have a friend who kept bugging me about that when are you going to put that racetrack book out so i decided well i'd pull it out you know sometimes you pull out a, an old book and it's you know oh that's terrible and sometimes you pull it out and it's not that bad and i've i've had people professionals editors 
agents go through it and it's probably been revised 497 right. times over the years. <laughs> so it, it wasn't it wasn't that far off. So I decided, well, people are always asking me about indie publishing when I'm doing workshops and I had no experience with it. Mm-hmm. So just for the sake of getting some experience, getting a book out in between the other releases and making some people happy by actually putting out this book that I would, I would indie publish it. And I, I, I had it professionally edited again. I, you know, paid for the cover art. You know, I, I did it all, you know, the way it should be done. I think I didn't cut corners, uh, even other than the fact that it was me and I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but yeah, I, I indie pubbed and learned a lot and, um, pretty much decided that I, I prefer <laughs> traditional publishing, yeah. but it's a nice, it's a good option. You know, yeah. it, it, it's there. I won't say that I won't ever do it again. Um, but, uh, yeah, I prefer traditional. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, y- it is. You're, you're you're the publisher as well, and that's that comes with all of the, the um, responsibilities, and you know the proofs and the copy edits and all that, but it covers, but also marketing and distribution, metadata. And, yeah, metadata. I hate, I think metadata is my least favorite word in the whole <laughs> dictionary. <laughs> Well, some people are so good at it, but it's um, algorithms and, and it changes all the time, too. You can yeah. you can understand Facebook one day and then the next day they change the algorithms and you have to start all over again. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's there's that's true, too, in traditional publishing, because you know, we all have to do our, our share of the marketing. But I like the idea, at least, of having a professional team behind me to help out with some of that. Yeah. It is true that in traditional publishing, uh, you still have to do or understand a lot of things uh, in order to move forward um, and to be a good partner for your publisher. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And this new series is coming out. Who's the publisher? It's uh, one more chapter, which is an imprint. Uh, it's HarperCollins UK imprint. Interesting. So I, my book is better public or better traveled than I am because it, <laughs> you know, it's been spending time in London. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's all new to me, and I'm kind of just going along and again figuring it out as I go along. It's they're digital first. Uh, it's, you know, big five, it's got the big five, you know, Harper Collins behind them, but it's digital first. Uh, it comes out in, it comes out digitally everywhere, January 20th. Uh, it comes out in print in the UK, March 2nd, I believe. And I don't have a date yet for the American print release. So I'm, I'm waiting eagerly for that. And in the meantime, I went online and ordered a copy, pre-ordered a copy from, uh, from London. 
because you know I'm, I want the book in my hand like everybody does. Yes, of course, and also so you can take picture of yourself holding it. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's interesting because publishers, the big five, small, medium, uh, everyone's trying new things too. Uh, you know, digital first or different releases and and things. It's it's a nimble. It's an industry that is has some archaic <laughs> business practices, right. but they're trying to figure out how to respond to the times. Yeah, I, I, I think small pre- small presses taught, I hope, the bigger presses a lot because I think publishing in the big five or back when it was big six or whatever was more like trying to maneuver the Titanic. Mm-hmm. where the small presses were little speedboats and got things done a lot quicker and sometimes more efficiently. Uh, and I think that the big five, by going to these digital first imprints, are kind of taking some lessons from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree. I think that there's, uh, it's a fascinating, the changes in the, you know, almost 20 years since you've started on this journey and, and I've started on this journey. Uh, you know, we started around the same time. Um, the changes in the world, uh, you know, we were talking before about floppy disks. Um, <laughs> I don't even know that people understand what it was like, you know, when you had this oh. big beast of a machine that 256 you know, Megs was all it could handle, and you had to swip out the software and the you know what you were saving yeah. it on, and yeah, and then CD drives got were the new thing yeah. for a while, yeah. and, and now my my new laptop doesn't even have a CD drive in it. I know. Well, well, and which I miss. I my laptop doesn't either, and I miss having a CD if for nothing else when I'm trying to listen to something or watch something and, you know, can't do it easily. Um, so do you write in Word or a Scrivener or, you know, um, by I, hand? I, no, I, <laughs> I write in Word, but I outline in Scrivener. And Interesting. I, I do have notebooks that I, I take longhand notes in. And that's usually when I'm kind of feeling stuck, sometimes just switching from, you know, working on a keyboard to, you know, scribbling something down uh, on pen and paper. I, I guess it it clicks a different part of my brain. And a lot of times we'll, we'll free up some uh, <laughs> ideas that I, I couldn't quite get uh, on the keyboard. But I, I like to use Scrivener for outlining. Uh, I, 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 I can't seem to bring myself to draft to write in it, though. Um, I when I first tried talk about technology changing, my first the first time I had Scrivener on my because I don't have a Mac, I've got the old PCs, and my computer did not like Scrivener, and I would be typing in Scrivener, and it's like on the screen it would just freeze. And then every, it would catch up and it would do like every paragraph. It was that I'd be typing and then I'd look up and it was like nothing there. And then it would get drove me crazy. So I said, okay, this doesn't work. Yeah. So that's ever since then, I just decided I'll just do it, do the writing in word and take all of my notes. And, and I keep my, 
my uh, characters' descriptions and my locations straight. I keep all that sort of stuff uh, in my Scrivener file. So I refer. I have them both open on the on the computer at the same time. And do you? I find this fascinating. So, do you uh, in Scrivener? Do you also write? You know, notes. So Scrivener it has no cards for folks who haven't seen it, and it's it's you write in scenes if you use it to write. So it's and then you you move things into folders to make them into chapters. But do you use it, you know, you write on that scene card, what's happening, what day of the week it is, you know, what time of day so that you can keep track of all that as part of your plotting? Yeah, I have, well, the, the, the tree thing that they have on the left-hand side of the screen where I, I have that set up as though I were writing. It's got, you know, chapter, chapter one scene, you know, three scenes, two scenes, whatever, chapter two. And then in those scenes, some I, I write in the, I guess, word processor screen, whatever you, you would call it, whatever you call that, um, a little bit about what I want to happen or mm-hmm. where it's set. Just sometimes it starts out with just a line or two, and I might go in and uh, update it and add more you know, details to it. Um, a lot of times I'll <laughs> I'll go back because I have these these Scrivener outlines for each book, and you know you go back you decide to bring back a character from two books ago, <laughs> and I'll have to go back and find their description, and then I'll copy and paste it into the, the current Scrivener one uh, to keep track of things, or I'll I'll take a scene that I want to refer, like I'm in chapter 13 and i need to refer back to something that happened in chapter two and i'll go and and cut from word what i had written in chapter two and just put it into scrivener in that chapter 13 just so i i can keep yeah keep it straight what happened interesting interesting and because you've sort of been semi plotting you've been flashlighting you have a sense of where things go so that you don't have to move things around too much in word i'm imagining yeah i do a lot of the moving around in the outline in in scrivener yeah, yeah. interesting fascinating in that i i spoke with somebody <laughs> recently who um writes in word and doesn't write chronologically so she cuts and pastes and i just think that's one of the bravest things i've heard somebody do because i can only imagine a word snafu of not pasting or you know over i just yeah but um but that's the what an interesting way to do it so thanks for sharing that um so writing you teach you have workshops Yes. You mentor writers. So you were mentored, you mentor writers. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's talk about writing advice. What's the best piece of writing advice and the worst piece you've gotten? Um, And what's the best piece of writing advice you give to people? What do you want people who are on this journey to know? (laughs) Well, it is to what I've received. Um, Hey, the, the, the joking answer to that that I received <laughs> was to, as a writer, to marry someone with good health insurance. <laughs> well, again, there's some truth to that. <laughs> and I, I did. Um, I was already married to him, though. Um, but it's seriously, and 
at the risk of sounding like I'm sucking up, the best advice I ever received was to join Sisters in Crime. Um, and that is, is part of the advice that I give. I always like to tell people, I, I have three pieces of, of advice that I have, that I put out there, if I can remember all three of them right now. <laughs> One is to find your tribe. Uh, you know, no matter what genre you're writing, you, there's there are organizations out there. And this is not something that I mean, we do it in solitude, but we need our tribe to, to feed us. So find your tribe. Um, finish the book is a good one. And uh, the, the big one is, is never give up. Because I had already been, you know, going through the whole querying and re being rejected and getting an agent and losing an agent and, you know, back and forth for uh, 10 years before, you know, I, I got a, a offer of a contract. And I mean, at that point, when I got that contract, I was so close to, <laughs> I don't want to say giving up. But I had kind of made up my mind that maybe this wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and my husband was getting a little less enthused about this whole writing thing and was saying things like, maybe you should get a real job, <laughs> <laughs> like at McDonald's. And I'm a vegetarian, so that's really not a good fit. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I had, if I had given up or, or stopped trying six months sooner, none of this would have happened. So never give up. Um, yeah. As far as worst, adv worst advice that I've received, um, I think it, it just, and I, I know I, I've, I listened to these podcasts and I've heard it said over and over again, but that you have to do it a certain way mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it, when a, a plotter tells you that you have to plot, that that's the only way to do it. And, or a pantser tells you that you can, you know, pant writing by the seat of your pants is the only way to do it. Or, you know, writing in Scrivener is the only way to do it. Yeah, there's, there are so many different ways. Everybody has a different uh, way to make it work for them. So never yeah. say never and never say always, yeah. you know, always has to be done this way. Yeah. What do you wish you knew earlier? What do you wish you knew back in 2003 when you started? <sighs> uh, that is so hard because, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I knew then that I would actually end up, you know, with a book contract, but that's, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. And I don't know what advice that I would want to have given myself to have skipped something because everything I I think everything that I went through in the process helped bring me here you know yeah. the, the failures the failures just are ways of you know okay that doesn't work let's do something else so I don't know what I would have wanted to tell myself to skip I love that uh, you mentioned something that I think is worth talking a little bit about, if you don't mind, um, and that is you, you having an agent and and it not working. 
um, <laughs> you know, the, her not being able to sell the book and needing to part ways so that you could keep figuring this out. Um, that's a very hard thing <laughs> to oh, yeah. go through. Um, I can imagine, you know, <laughs> lots of angst and everything else, but the more I have these conversations, the more people tell me, yeah, I, I, this is part of what I had to do, or, you know, I switched agents mid-career or hmm. something happened. So can you talk about that part of the journey and, and sort of, um, you know, you get what you want and then it's not what you want and you have to fix things a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I got my first agent. I pitched to her at a pen writers conference and uh, she was a, a fairly, uh, I don't want to say big name agent, but she was, you know, highly respected. Uh, but it wasn't a good fit. She was highly respected and well-known uh, in the romance world and mm -hmm. was wanting to, to spread out, her, spread her wings into mystery. And I just think that she didn't have the connections. Uh, I, I think that's the problem. Uh, the problem from my point of view wasn't that she couldn't sell the book. It was that she wasn't really good at communications. You know, it, it, now they have this term ghosted. <laughs> she kind of ghosted me after a while. Um, and I, I decided that I, I wanted to shop because I'd written Circle of Influence by then. And I wanted to shop that around elsewhere. And she was, when I contacted her and about it, uh, she was, you know, very pleasant about it. You know, we parted, like I said, we parted company amicably. And I, I queried other agents for Circle of Influence and didn't get any kind of response. So I went with the, the small press on my own with no agent and, you know, published 10 books that way. I had, an agent reach out to me on Twitter uh, about the racetrack book about death by equine. And she was one of the ones who helped me, you know, really polish it up. Uh, but that, that didn't work out as far we, we ended up again, we didn't actually reach the point of being agent and client. Mm -hmm. We were just working together on the book. And she determined that, you know, she wasn't going to be able to sell it. So, you know, again, we're still, we're still on good terms. I email yeah. her with questions from time to time. She's more of a film agent uh, than a, a, a novel agent. Uh, but just whenever I ended, you know, or the contract ended with my first publisher, I decided I wanted to try again. And that's when I found my current agent who I adore and who's, you know, chats back and forth. I email her and she gets back to me like within the hour. So I, I again, going back to, I don't know what I would want to tell myself then, you know, what I know now, I wouldn't appreciate her as an agent if I hadn't had the first agent that I did mm -hmm. it. it you figure out what a good agent is by sometimes having a bad agent. Right. 
And a good agent for you may be a bad agent for somebody else, too, because as you said, those connections are part of it. Um, you know, who who do they sell books to? <laughs> who do they talk to and who do they know? Uh, and is that going to help you get where you want to go? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I think a lot of authors who are just starting out and are just starting on that path to querying agents, uh, they get an offer and they're just, ah, you know, and they grab the first offer that comes to them because they're so happy. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really is my talk about how hard it could be, you know, parting company with, with an agent. It's like getting a divorce because Yes, I have an agent. It's it's you know such such a great thing to have right. an agent, and then to have to part company with them. It's like getting a divorce and having to start dating again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good analogy for sure. So, Annette, what are you working on now? Uh, I uh, I'm I'm waiting for the copy edits on. The, I have to start counting the 12th Zoe mystery. Uh, I've completed that manuscript and turned it in and went through the, the first round of edits. So I'm waiting on the next round. I have another month or so to wait, I think, on that. Um, I am working on the second book in the new series uh, that is due February 1st, which is coming up really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. faster, depending on when this airs. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording I, this in late December uh, for folks. And, uh, you know, the end of the year is coming upon us fast. <laughs> the first draft done. I, I got the bulk of it done during NaNo this year. Yay, NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to go back through it now and, uh, <laughs> it need it's usually I write lean, but this one, I, it, it turned out really long and needs a lot of trimming done. So yeah. I need to get in there and cut the fat. Yeah. It's, um, how long does it take you generally to write that first draft? Depends on how long I have before the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> It it used to take me uh, for a first draft like six months. I was comfortable with um, this one. Let me see. <laughs> I started it in the middle of September, and I finished it like the right in the around the first of December. Not quite three months. Yeah, and it was very stressful. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. <laughs> six six months. I'm comfortable. Well, you also, because when you you write that first draft, you need to give it room to sit and then revise and then polish. And I mean, it's a process. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to get other other eyes on it, too. You know, I like to have the time to finish it and send it off to a couple beta readers and then get it back and then go through their notes on it. And this one, I'm not going to have that much time to do that. So I'm. A little nervous. <laughs> well, the weather's turning, so it's it's harder to get outside and where you live in winter. So <laughs> there's nothing to do, right? <laughs> it 
that's that's the plan. I'm just holing up in January for the whole month in my office. Um, well, I wish you luck with that. I wish you luck with the new series. Congratulations. That's exciting. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing you on social media holding up the English version of your, the UK version of your book. That's very exciting. Uh, yeah. Because they, you know, they sent me a PDF of it, and I was, I was kind of surprised because, you know, they're publishing it in the UK, but it's got uh, American punctuation, and you know, it's the double quotes instead of the single quotes. The formatting is is American, so which is good because it's set in Pennsylvania. <laughs> interesting, interesting. It's all interesting. It I'm is. Learning as it I go. is. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Good for, um, yeah, fascinating, right? I mean, I wonder if you'd written a book taking place in England, if they would have used English punctuation. I don't know, but I wouldn't do that because I learned learned back that very first book that I wrote set in Las Vegas. I've never been to England either. (laughs) (laughs) Like you said, maybe I'll get a chance to. (laughs) You never know, right? You never know. know. Annette, thanks for a great conversation. This was fun. Yes, yes. And thanks for all you do for Sisters in Crime, including being president of the Pittsburgh chapter. That's not a small thing. So thank you for doing that. Oh, my pleasure. I I love giving back. And thank you for all you do for Sisters in Crime. My goodness. It's my honor. I I love this organization. So I'm happy to do it. And how lucky am I? I get to have conversations with wonderful writers like you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.